This episode is also brought to you by PlayVentures. Now, PlayVentures is the premier early-stage VC fund that invests into gaming and gaming service startups around the world. We, and I do mean we because I am a part of the PlayVentures team, we invest early into the most promising mobile and PC free-to-play game studios and game service startups that are looking for more than just money. The fund is investing globally in Europe, Asia, and North America, expecting to make between six to eight new investments per year. Our typical first investment into a new company ranges between half a million to a million, with the capacity to follow on into the future financing rounds. The partners meet and evaluate hundreds of companies per year and invest in only the best teams with the highest potential. Our goal is to help ambitious entrepreneurs create the next top of the food chain gaming companies around the world. In the teams we invest, we expect passion for games, raw talent, and most importantly, humbleness and team play. We love driven founders who dream big and want to be there to help you achieve those dreams, no matter how ambitious or crazy they may seem. If you're a new game studio or a game service startup, or somebody who's thinking about having a new game studio or a game service startup, uh, looking to funding or some advice, please connect with us. Go to PlayVentures VC for more info on the fund, our team, and the investments we've made so far. That's PlayVentures.VC. Deconstructor of Fun podcast is also brought to you by App Annie, the leading global provider of mobile market data. Now, personally, when it comes to exploring the market and creating a winning mobile strategy, I do it all with App Annie. Track top charts and rank history, get download and revenue estimates. App Annie also helps me to understand detailed usage data of my competitors' games. And if you're on the marketing side, App Annie is there for you as well. It helps you to understand what is it you need to do to increase discoverability of your games and how you should improve your advertising strategy. Combined with unparalleled service and support, there's really no reason why you shouldn't be using App Annie. So go to appannie.com and sign up. Tell them that the friends from Deconstructor of Fun sent you. Hey folks, and welcome to the first episode of our mobile publisher series. Now in each of these episodes, we sat down with the CEOs of top mobile publishers and discussed on how they approach publishing. What is it their company's strategy and like how is it set apart and how do they work with developers? Also, how do they see the future of publishing on mobile? In this episode, I'm joined together with, with JK. We're joined with by Scopely's uh, co-CEO, Javier Ferreira, uh, who dives deep into the company's product strategy, organization, and team structure, as well as talks about the company's technology platform. We also discuss Scopely's mindset to launching new games and their attitude towards both original and IP games. I think this was one of the most interesting discussions on, on the podcast, and, and I'm happy to say that this episode will be followed by at least as interesting episodes on mobile publishing. So guys, stay tuned, remember to comment, and please do subscribe to hear the uh, the upcoming episodes with other CEOs from top-notch mobile publishers. Welcome everybody, and we're here with, as always, JK, and we have a special awesome guest, Javier Ferreira. Did I pronounce it correctly? Pretty nice, pretty nice, yeah, pretty accurate. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome to have you here um, or there. We're doing this remotely. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about mobile publishing and what's the better way to kick off our, 
our series on, on mobile publishing than to talk with the biggest mobile publisher out there, Scopely. But before we dive into Scopely, I'd, I'd like to, you know, Javier, I, I look, you know, your background in games is extensive. So can you tell a little bit more about your background and how did you end up at Scopely? Sure, sure. Um, I studied uh, I studied in kind of mobile games um, back in 2002, uh, at the, right at the beginning of uh, of uh, of uh, mobile content. You know, these were kind of black and white phones, pixels. Uh, but even then, we started to do games, uh, browser games, SMS games, um, and it was clear to me from kind of day one that uh, that mobile was going to be was going to be the kind of dominant gaming platform, uh, just because the, the level of access uh, was uh, was totally kind of uh, you know totally different level compared to uh, compared to the kind of platforms of uh, of that day, console and, and, and other kind of platforms. Um, I then kind of moved to a company called Jamdat. Which was a uh, you know probably the more the most successful Western games publisher uh, before the kind of iPhone uh, era. Uh, um, I uh, I moved to London uh, and I was running Jamdat uh, Europe uh, based out of London. Was there for about two years. After about two years, we got bought by EA, uh, and that was about a seven hundred million dollar acquisition. We, uh, you know, it was a kind of an exciting and fun time. We took all of kind of EA's IPs and really mobilized them into the mobile space, uh, Sims, uh, FIFA, Need for Speed, Simpsons at the time, Harry Potter. Um, and, you know, we really built a kind of fun and exciting business. Uh, and so I was running uh, all of that kind of European business um, out, of, out of London. I was there for about three years. Um, after that, I decided to take some time off. Um, I actually took a whole kind of, you know, a whole kind of gap year, which was uh, which was good and exciting. Uh, you know, a lot of kind of great memories from that year. Um, I stayed in Spain for a little bit after that, and in 2011, um, uh, a guy called John Pleasance, who had been the COO of kind of EA, had moved over to uh, Disney Interactive to really try and build uh, the, you know, the vertical kind of game business for for Disney. And, uh, and uh, you know, I moved to, to, uh, to L.A. Uh, in 2011 to work uh, at Disney Interactive, heading up uh, publishing, games publishing. There I was working on the console side of things and, and, and mobile and some online on, on console. I was uh, heading up uh, uh, publishing for Disney Infinity, which was, you know, which became... Um, Disney's biggest kind of console game, uh, over a billion dollars in revenue, and you know, very successful one on the kind of first iteration. Um, and then on mobile, we you know we kind of drove the transition to uh, to mobile free to play. When I came, there were all the you know it was all it was all paid downloads, um, and we started you know moving towards free to play. We did a number of games like Frozen, uh, Marvel Avengers, uh, Star Wars Commander, and, and 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 other games that were kind of pretty successful. Um, and so drove, uh, you know, drove that, drove that kind of transition. Um, you know, I joined Scopely because um, obviously I had a lot of kind of experience uh, in the in the mobile space and in the kind of mobile publishing space. And I was looking at the ecosystem, and I felt that there was nobody um, attacking or you know, attacking the space or building the type of company that uh, that I that I wanted to build. Um, and uh, you know, I think at the time. Scopely uh, was, you know, had been set up in 2011. They were, they were a, um, you know, very kind of tech-driven uh, company. Um, 
they were they were kind of building something pretty interesting on the on the kind of platform and technology side of things. They had some products, uh, some revenue, uh, and you know, kind of you know, very interesting kind of set of talent. And I thought that uh, that we could kind of take all of those ingredients and build something really powerful and something very unique. Uh, so that was exciting. Uh, and so in 2014, I, I, I moved I moved over and, uh, you know, started the journey. Mm. And, and you started off as heading publishing at Scopely and now you're co-CEO, if I'm correct. What, is, what does co-CEO mean? Sure. I, I actually joined kind of Scopely as the COO. Um, <laughs> and uh, and co-CEO uh, basically means that, uh, you know, Walter and I um, really try to kind of... Uh, Think about and operate the business together. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think what we have found is that uh, is that uh, uh, by you know through that process we you know we enhance our thinking, we make our thinking uh, 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 better, we challenge each other's ideas, and and uh, and that leads to I think kind of better 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 ideas and better approaches. Um, and then uh, you know we 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 make sure that we operate uh, as, a, as a single kind of integrated vision. Uh, and then, you know, we, we have uh, areas of focus where, you know, where we kind of deploy ourselves, uh, but, always, but always, you know, from a kind of integrated perspective. And as mm-hmm. I said, a, an, an improved perspective because of the relationship and because of the partnership that we have. Yeah, yeah, and and as uh, as as just looking even even if somebody looks at your backgrounds, your and Walters, you have very different backgrounds. You're clearly of, you know, gaming for the last twenty years and publishing and everything, and yeah, more entertainment and um and then yeah, and Scopely. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about well, not a little bit. Let's talk about a lot about Scopely. Yeah. Um, the company has raised two hundred fifty million. You have done several rounds, and the last one was whopping hundred million. Uh, till date, you have released a little over 20 titles yeah. and probably around 250 million downloads if, if we're looking at Appani or Sensor Tower. Yeah. But most importantly, for, for anybody and everybody who's listening to this, you've, you've crossed over 1 billion in lifetime revenues. Sure. And originally, as you were talking about Scopely back in the days, it was kind of known as this sort of with buddies franchise. And there's still couple of massive with buddies hits like dice with buddies and yahtzee with buddies yeah since then you you know the company has really flourished with with some mega hits like the walking dead road to survival you got wwe champions you got wheel of fortune since you got looney tunes world of mayhem yeah and of course star trek fleet of command yeah so even looking at your grossing charts the scopely's grossing apart from 2017 the company has significantly increased its revenue year by year. And then, you know, looking at this at 2019, you're already 70% higher uh, revenue rate than compared to last year. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going to be the topic for most of it, but how do you do it? How do you do this? The vision for the company is, you know, we, we're trying to build a, uh, hopefully the definitive free play games company uh, in the West. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the vision. That was the vision, you know, from kind of 2014 onwards. Uh, that's, uh, uh, that's what we uh, always kind of designed and thought about uh, uh, in terms of kind of our goals and objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in order to do that, we think uh, we've been kind of fundamentally focused on three kind of components. Uh, one is building a studio ecosystem 
um, that is capable of uh, of delivering, you know, market leading, genre kind of leading LTVs, uh, mm-hmm. um, and we can talk a little bit about that later. Um, the second kind of component is is building a tech platform uh, that has you know a number of kind of components that can um, allow us and kind of empower us to. Uh, to kind of monetize those uh, those kind of LTVs, those kind of game experiences, uh, in a way that is that is uh, uh, more sophisticated and more durable uh, than uh, than our competitors or the other players in in the space. And I think thirdly, we're also kind of very focused on building a kind of company operating system. And by operating system, I mean our processes, our culture, our talent. That uh, that operates that studio ecosystem and that technology platform again in a way that leads to kind of uh, you know market leading outcomes and those and when you kind of put those three things together and when you put those three things uh, together in a kind of successful manner uh, you know I think we have been able to uh, uh, build launch and monetize um, free to play games uh, in 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 a way that I think very few companies have done over the last kind of uh, four years. And, you know, you talk about a kind of portfolio. um, And, you know, one of the things that's kind of unique about our portfolio is the fact that we've been able to do, you know, to launch very successful games across multiple genres, right? We've been able to do that on the casual side. uh, You know, on the RPG side, we've been able to do it on the kind of strategy side. um, and, uh, And I think, you know, there's very few companies that have been able to do that. And so... And so it is the combination of uh, of those kind of three three components that that drive uh, our strategy and uh, and I think uh, and I think they are uh, differentiated. Each of each of them is differentiated in its in its own way, uh, and together I think uh, give us you know significant competitive advantage that has allowed us to yeah to kind of drive uh, a lot of growth. You know we're doing uh, we've grown a lot. We're doing you know well over. Mm-hmm. You know, four hundred million dollar run right now, and uh, and you know we expect to kind of grow significantly over the next 12, 24 months. So it's been an ex- exciting trajectory. But those those three kind of fundamental buckets, I think, are the things that drive our company. Got it. So um, so going into like the first part of the studio ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, do you have do you do you make games out of your HQ? And we everybody probably saw the photos of your HQ. So it's it's a wholly new rebuild, Culver City HQ, and you can clearly see it from the uh, from the images. <laughs> so, so so do you do you do games out of the HQ, or do you do games only through the uh, external studios like Digit is sure. working on the Star Trek and so forth? Yeah, I think I think the 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 you know taking a step back for a second uh, to, to to understand really our model. The, the way that we think about our our kind of content strategy is is that uh, is that first we you know we build a strategy right and by that I mean you know what are the what are the kind of what are the kind of genres and products uh, uh, that uh, that we want to kind of build in some cases what are the IPs that we think are kind of exciting uh, uh, in some cases what are the studios that we want to work with but it is the, there is a kind of you know kind of highly sophisticated, highly data driven kind of content strategy that uh, that uh, that drives uh, our thinking around the kind of games that we want to kind of make. We are we are not we are not a distributor of third party content. Mm-hmm. We are not a publisher of third party content. You know we are a kind of games company that is building what we think is a is a you know highly sophisticated. Uh, um, 
content or game slate uh, that we think maximizes our kind of uh, strategic and revenue footprint in the in the market. Okay, so that's kind of where it all starts. Um, and then once 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 we kind of you know have those ideas and build those strategies, the kind of next step is okay. How do we how do we maximize the probability of uh, of success? How do we how do we uh, how do we get behind a bet? Like, hey, let's make a strategy game because we think strategy games are you know strategy categories exciting. How do we maximize the probability of success? And there, um, you know, one of the components is is studio. But really, the way that we think about it is not in terms of studios or internal external the way we think about it is in terms of the franchise team you know you in order to kind of be successful you have to build a franchise team in this case it's kind of used as an example the stars the star trek kind of franchise team and that uh, that team needs to have a set of capabilities in order to kind of uh, uh, be successful one of the capabilities that it needs to have is is you know development expertise in the strategy category um, and uh, and in that case because for example we, we did not have uh, those capabilities internally. Uh, we go and kind of strike partnerships uh, uh, with, uh, with studios, in this case, Digit. Um, and uh, and, uh, and that, that's, kind of, that's kind of what drives uh, our thinking. In some other cases, as you know, uh, uh, we do have those capabilities internally. And therefore, we do have kind of internal studios, both in our kind of headquarters here in LA, also in uh, in our offices in kind of Barcelona, uh, um, uh, where you know where because we think we have the capabilities internally, then then the right kind of approach is to build that uh, game internally. So it is not it is it is driven it is driven by the kind of uh, by the by the by the strategy uh, uh, the content strategy that, that we are executing against. And then based on that strategy, we look for the best studio to execute against that opportunity. In some cases, that's an internal studio. Some other cases, it's an external, it's an, it's an internal studio. But in all cases, what we are trying to do after that is, is, uh, is um, eliminate the kind of internal, kind of external kind of component and build a single kind of game team that is 100% focused on, on delivering the product outcome. And that game team in most cases, includes people that are employed by Scopely. So you you know you have game designers, you have product managers. Sometimes you have technical directors, kind of working on the Scopely side. You know, partnering with the with the studios. And by the way, the studio might also have designers and product managers and and you know engineering leadership uh, uh, that complements uh, uh, the talent that we have. And it is bringing together an amazing team from sometimes multiple you know different companies. Uh, uh, that we think leads to, uh, uh, you know, market kind of leading outcomes. Uh, I think I see time and time again, companies trying to do things that uh, they don't know how to do. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that is, sometimes it works, but more, more often than not, it doesn't. And so we are, we are kind of, uh, we are conscious of the things that we know how to do really well. Um, and also of the things where, where other people know potentially how to do it better. And we are, you know, we are partnership oriented and we are open to kind of finding the right partnerships to complement our skill sets so that we can deliver, uh, you know, great, great, great outcomes. Uh, love it. This is really clear. So, you know, like the way I hear it is you're quite more proactive versus reactive, which is a lot of, uh, you know, as a publisher, you tend to, some publishers tend to be more reactive because they look at what's coming down the pipe and they're trying to, yeah. you know, see what no, they that's... can promote, where, where make an extra buck and so forth. But 
you're actually letting that first the, the landscape. Yeah, that's a nice kind of way of putting it. Uh, we are we are also very proactive in reaching out to studios. You know, we are we are all the time speaking to what we think are the best kind of uh, uh, you know independent studios out there, um, and and not because at that particular moment we might have uh, a game that we want to make with them, but because we know that perhaps in six months, twelve months, eighteen months we're going to have an opportunity. But yes, we are we are kind of very proactive in building those relationships. Um, and then we are very proactive in building a kind of content strategy and then striking the right partnerships to execute against that. Mm. So, um, you know, a couple of questions regarding that. So how big is the company as of today? If, if, sure. if, we're, look, if, if we're looking at, you know, both the studios yeah. that you have and then your internal, internal ones. Yeah. So we have, we're about 400 people, uh, -huh. uh across, um, uh, LA, Dublin, and Barcelona. Um, and then we have another kind of 400 people uh, across our studio ecosystem uh, of studios that we don't kind of fully own. And uh, you know, in some cases, those studios are studios where we have investments, uh, sometimes kind of investments to path, you know, in a path to kind of majority ownership. In some cases, we have exclusive kind of arrangements. So the, the, all the kind of relationships with the studios are somewhat different. Um, but yeah, it's about kind of 400 people across our studio ecosystem. Mm. And how many, how many studios? Like, it, like looking at your portfolio, as you said, yeah. it's extremely wide. So how yeah. many studios do you need to cover basically the whole gaming market? Yeah, yeah. well, right, right now we have 10 game studios, um, you know, distributed all over the world um, between kind of internal and external. Um, I don't think that allows us to cover the whole gaming market yet. Uh, so we're always kind of, uh, you know, building, building additional partnerships. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of where we are today. And, you know, our, our goal also with those studios is to go deeper uh, and continue to kind of, uh, you know, further alignment, uh, you know, as we think about the kind of long term and, and about mm -hmm. the partnership. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's okay. 10 studios. That makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, you mentioned how many, how many work It's kind of like 50, 50, like 400 and 400. And, yeah. um, and as a, as a last question, you know, I, I need to get JK into, into talking about mobile publishing, but I want to ask you about um, something you mentioned in the beginning and something that you said the Scopely was originally seen more as a technology company. Yeah. Uh, so what, what do you mean by that? And then what type of technology do you have uh, or to support or do, what kind of yeah. technology do you support? Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I think, we think of our kind of technology platform as uh, as uh, you know one of the kind of big drivers of our of our success and strategic advantage. Uh, you know, I see the space today as as on the one hand, you need to have the kind of studio and the kind of product know how to build you know extreme KPIs, but then you need to have the technology uh, and the kind of tools to to really kind of uh, uh, operate and, and monetize those kind of KPIs, and so. Mm -hmm. I think we are building. We're building a kind of pretty powerful, and we have been building a powerful kind of technology platform over the last uh, over the last kind of uh, you know five six years. I would I would kind of uh, describe it as kind of three kind of fundamental buckets. On the one hand, we have all the kind of game engines that we have been building and that we are iterating on uh, these days, uh, and those are you know getting better uh, every time. And I think uh, on a path to leading you know to a large you know larger and larger outcomes and as you can see every year we, we deliver bigger games um, uh, then we have uh, our kind of modular kind of game services uh, which basically means that uh, when uh, any studio internal or external wants to kind of build a game 
um, all the kind of all the kind of uh, um, uh, game service architecture that you need in a kind of free play kind of in a free play uh, model are already kind of available and built for you. Things like tournaments, leaderboards, uh, player ID, uh, server architecture, etc. Which is yeah. you know which is kind of really powerful because because it really empowers studios to focus on player experience, to really focus on the game and not have to deal uh, with a lot of the kind of technology that is required to kind of operate uh, operate these games. And on top of that, it means that whenever we're kind of building a feature, for example, a clubs feature or a leaderboard feature, it's a feature that immediately becomes available to every single game across the ecosystem, right? And I think that's a kind of powerful, uh, 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 you know, process an idea because it's gonna, it's gonna, it's really accelerates the the um, our ability to iterate on our kind of game roadmaps and to kind of grow the LTV of our products. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have our you know kind of publishing uh, technology, and that is everything that has to do with data, with uh, BI, with uh, use uh, user acquisition, marketing automation, segmentation, machine learning. All, all the kind of capabilities that fundamentally allow us to acquire users um, um, on a one-to-one basis and really kind of uh, uh, customize the experience through the whole kind of life cycle and through the whole kind of player journey on a one-to-one basis in terms of, you know, what are the events that they see, uh, what are the, you know, the offers that they get, uh, uh, you know, understanding uh, the parts of the game that they engage with the most, and making sure that we react to that kind of data. Uh, basically, it's it's the you know it's the collection of technologies that allow us to, uh, as I said, manage players on a one-to-one basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the combination of that kind of platform, uh, you know, allows us to uh, allows us to kind of build games faster, grow LTVs uh, much faster than 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 some of our competitors, um, and then you know the, the liver. Uh, what we call a kind of directed by consumer experience, right? Uh, where where the where the kind of player is able to to kind of really build the type of experience that they want to have in our games, and we have the kind of technologies to to basically empower the player to do that. Mm-hmm. Wow, super extensive. So, um, I, yeah. So, so JK's next talk. <laughs> I want to I want to ask like before JK kicks off, like one of the important things that comes into mobile publishing. Sorry, JK, I'm not. I, I want like go for it, go for it. The the interesting part about it is always like the, the biggest challenge that I always see is the revenue share and the revenue share in combination with the modern user acquisition. So if you're a developer and you have your game out and there's a revenue share model with a publisher, you won't likely see any revenue in I don't know twelve months. That would be that would be realistic, even in, with a successful game, and you're kind of seeing all the marketing dollars come in, and with the revenue yeah. share, it's getting contributed to, to allocation. And through that, even if you launch a successful game, it's really hard to keep that developer pushing forward when they're not seeing any return coming back. And even even though they're trending in like top fifty, top in top grossing, yeah. everything goes out between between the partners and then to the distribution channels. So that's kind of like. Uh, the maybe one of the key reasons why mobile publishing has been so challenging and so jk take it away i mean i've, I've been hampering with all okay. your questions but <laughs> all right so, so, javier yeah so digging more into the mobile game publishing model and specifically with scopely i think there are definitely a lot of common perceptions or misconceptions and so it'd be great to kind of dig into you know exactly how you guys operate but just to set the context if we look at the history of mobile game publishing, at least from an external perspective, 
there's a lot of dead bodies out there, right? And so yeah. whether it's Nexon, Zynga, EH Lingo, Rovio, Activision, to name a few, there's a lot of companies that have tried external third-party publishing, but just really haven't had that sort of success. Yeah. And then there's sort of this view that only developers who kind of lack in success or need resources are seeking publishers. And so some of these developers may only be looking at publishers for whether it's money, IP, or for the user acquisition side. And then on the flip side, there are certainly some publishers who want to just sort of take as little risk as possible and, and put a lot of risk on developers. And so there's been kind of this, this you know, the, the history of mobile game publishing yeah. has been a little bit kind of com complicated and not super successful. And so just thinking about what you guys have done and how you guys have been able to build up so much traction, can you talk about what you guys have been doing differently and kind of your model? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think you know, there, there are kind of, obviously a lot of kind of things uh, worth kind of discussing here. I mean, first of all, uh, I think there is, sometimes people talk about kind of mobile publishing um, and it feels that really what they're talking about is mobile distribution, right? Uh, yeah. uh, there is somebody that has a game and is looking for somebody to kind of uh, distribute that game. Um, I think, uh, I think uh, that generally does not work. Uh, and the reason why it doesn't work is because there is not enough value being created in that partnership. Right, uh, uh, I, I have a game now. If my KPIs are incredible, uh, um, you know, do I really need a kind of? Uh, do I really need somebody to distribute that product? And uh, if my kind of KPIs are not incredible, uh, then then the publisher is not really going to be able to kind of do anything kind of meaningful. So, I, I see that kind of relationship as a kind of low value kind of relationship, and and therefore one that, that to your point has not going to produce any companies of meaningful scale in the in the in the in the mobile space right um, so that that's not what we do right what what we do is uh, is uh, as i said before uh, you know partner with world class talent uh, to deliver uh, from day zero uh, uh, outcomes uh, that we that we believe uh, have you know a, a potential for High, you know, for a lot of kind of market traction, right? And 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 yeah. and so the partnership is is built around the mutual creation of value. We are kind of we are kind of bringing capabilities both on the kind of product, technology, uh, kind of marketing and publishing side of things from day zero to that partnership. And of course, the studio is also kind of bringing a lot of kind of capabilities to that kind of partnership uh, uh, from from day zero. And it is it is by that kind of deep kind of combination of, uh, of skill sets and know-how that uh, together we can deliver something that is dramatically different from what each of those companies could do on their own, right? Uh, yeah. and, and there, the partnership is creating a lot of kind of upside and, and it works. But of course, you need, you need a kind of certain kind of content strategy. You need a certain kind of company DNA. You need a certain kind of set of technologies to be able to do that. It's not, it's not it just doesn't just happen organically. Um, and, and I feel like, uh, obviously there's very few companies in the space that have built that and have thought of the space in this way, uh, to your point, I think what we see mostly are distributors, uh, right. and, uh, and yeah, I think, I think that's a kind of low value, low value partnership. Great. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then also just, if, if I were to look at just as an outsider, looking at Scopely yeah. in terms of the evolution of your model, working with external third party, um, you know, 
uh, studios. It seems like there's been, you know, at least the external views, there's been a shift since uh, Iugo where it seems like you guys are now trying to, to more sort of partner with external studios, but with an eye towards acquisition and bringing those studios inter internally. It, would, you, would you consider that a, a fair observation? Or, and could you talk about whether there has been kind of a shift in terms of how you work with externals? Yeah, I mean, as I said before, a goal when we strike a partnership is for that partnership to, to first of all, be successful, uh, and, uh, and second, to be, you know, very, very kind of long-term, right? That is, that is our kind of ideal kind of uh, scenario and our orientation. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, one of the things that, uh, one of the kind of mechanisms through which you can make a kind of partnership very kind of long-term is through acquisition, right? Because uh, uh, that kind of, you know, that immediately aligns both kind of groups or both kind of teams, 100%. So, so I think there is, there is a natural kind of tendency in our model, uh, you know, towards, towards kind of acquiring the successful kind of uh, companies that we work with uh, and the one and, and to really kind of double down on the partnerships that are successful. So in the case of Digit, for example, obviously we've had a kind of very successful uh, uh, outcome with, uh, with Star Trek and, um, and, that, uh, and that's something that we want to build on, that we want to invest in. And, and of course, acquiring uh, uh, the studio is, is, you know, it's a great way of ensuring that we have uh, alignment. I think the, the other thing around kind of acquisitions that's kind of it's important is a little bit what Mishka was kind of, uh, you know, commenting before. Um, you know, how do you create value for the studio, right? I mean, that is, that is, that is something that is really important for us because, because uh, we're looking for win-win partnerships. We're looking for kind of partnerships where, where kind of both companies uh, can have significant upside on success. Of course, one way of doing that is the typical kind of royalty model. Uh, uh, that's the kind of standard model. Uh, I think we are trying to kind of uh, uh, create um, studio uh, partnerships that I think are more sophisticated than typical kind of royalty kind of models. And one way of creating upside for the studio is through acquisition. And so in many cases, you know, we, we think and we talk and we structure deals from day zero uh, around this type of outcomes, right? It is not something that happens by accident. It is something that's kind of, thought out and designed from, from, from the beginning uh, so that, uh, so that uh, you know, the studio can also have a lot of upside if it delivers, if it delivers a large outcome. So there is, nothing, there is nothing that says that we have to kind of buy uh, a studio that we work with, uh, but, uh, but certainly to the extent that the partnership is successful, it's something that makes a lot of sense for us uh, because, as I said, that kind of really aligns us for the long term. Um, and, and as I said before, Internal, external—that's not—that's not really what matters. It is about—it is about kind of you know working together in an efficient way and being kind of very aligned in terms of the objectives that we're chasing. Got it. And yeah, it does seem that that level of integration and alignment does provide a lot of competitive advantage, just from my perspective, having worked in publishing for the last four years. But I think the other thing that was interesting that you mentioned earlier was the fact that you guys are also in entering into many different sort of game genres. Yeah. And look in, in terms of the market, it does seem like the more successful companies are the ones that have been, you know, really focused on a very specific genre, like, you know, as like a Jam City and Match 3 over a long period of time and, and kind of de developing a lot of depth within a single genre. So could you speak to that in terms of how you guys have been able to, you know, compete in many different genres? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, we start from kind of, 
we start thinking from two two kind of places. One is is the kind of reading and the analysis of the marketplace. You know, what are the what are the kind of uh, genres and kind of games that we think are going to be successful uh, in the in the future? Uh, and uh, and when we when we kind of do that kind of uh, thinking, we're not kind of really uh, uh, putting the filter of what are the games that we have made in the past. We are much more kind of interested in in the future and what what we think is going to be successful in the future. That's the first thing, and I think the second thing is, you know, we are we are a games company, uh, and uh, and there's a lot of people at uh, Scopely that have uh, the creative drive and the creative desire to kind of uh, 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 make uh, make all kinds of games. Uh, there are people here at Scopely that uh, that love kind of making um, you know social PvP games, but there's also a lot of people here that make you know like 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 making kind of hardcore strategy games, and so that is. That is a kind of very powerful uh, uh, part of, uh, of, of our company, you know, this kind of depth of kind of creative talent. And we are also kind of excited and, you know, about empowering our, our people to go after those opportunities. Now, once, once, we kind of, once we kind of have those two things, like, hey, I believe that there is a market opportunity and that we have kind of creative talent at the company that wants to go after that opportunity opportunity uh, uh, you know the way that we think about that is uh, we do not want to be constrained by the capabilities that we have in-house we want to be we want to kind of uh, 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 we want to have we want to have the opportunity to pursue that uh, that uh, that opportunity um, and what we are we are disciplined uh, in ensuring that we only do that if we have uh, uh, the right uh, you know the right kind of uh, Sort of talent and studio to go to go after the opportunity, um, and I think uh, and I think uh, uh, by doing that and by being you know disciplined around that, what we have been able to do is uh, is to kind of expand uh, to to you know to multiple categories successfully, because I think actually Joe, I think many of the companies that have been successful in kind of one genre yeah. have also been pretty unsuccessful in others. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you are kind of you are only kind of talking about the successful kind of uh, uh, yeah. uh, um, you know verticals, but most of them have tried to kind of go into into kind of uh, into other genres because it's a games company. Uh, given how big the space is, and as I said, because we are kind of ultimately kind of creative, uh, creative driven kind of uh, entities, we don't want to be constrained by by what we have done in the past. You know, uh, uh, yeah. and but 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 you need to be. You need to be sophisticated in ensuring that when you go after an opportunity, you have you have the right talent uh, and the right know-how to go to go after it. And we think that by doing that, over the long term, we can build a much much kind of more vibrant company, a much more successful kind of company, and a company that uh, that can kind of you know have a footprint across all the different uh, successful. Uh, dimensions of uh, of mobile games, and you know we we are excited about that. As I said, from a business perspective, and also creatively. Got it. And then now talking about so you know you, you mentioned you talked to a lot of different studios out there. Can you talk a little bit more about so what are the specific types of teams that you're looking for, and, and um, are there certain types of developers that you actually don't want to work with, relative yeah. to who you do want to work with? Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, you know, as I said before, we are obviously this this kind of business in constant evolution, uh, and and so, so you know some of our criteria, and we are in constant evolution as a company as well. So so this is a kind of criteria that has evolved over time. I would say that today we are we are 
very focused on trying to work with uh, studios that are very focused, if not obsessed, around a particular type of game, a particular type of experience. For example, in the case of Digit, they are, you know, they always said, we want to build, you know, the most successful strategy games uh, uh, in the West, right? Uh, and so they've always been obsessed about, uh, about that. And, and, and we like that because we think that uh, the, in the marketplace today, the path to winning is, as I said, to deliver very extreme type of KPIs. Uh, in the case of strategy game, it's, you know, very extreme kind of, you know, LTV. Uh, and, uh, and in order to do that, you need focus, right? Um, and you need passion uh, 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 against the kind of game experience. Uh, so, the, you know, we, we love those kind of studios that are saying, hey, we're going after the strategy category, or we want to build, you know, the best kind of match three games, or we want to kind of really kind of uh, uh, build the most kind of amazing kind of RPGs. Um, and, uh, and, you know, studios that are willing to kind of uh, stay very focused uh, against, against that. That's the first thing. The second thing that we are, you know, interested in or that we kind of really value is, I think kind of Mishka was also kind of referencing before, studios that are excited about kind of working under a model, right? Uh, um, and, uh, and that are kind of excited about, about, you know, what we are all about as a company and a kind of long-term vision. Uh, I think that's kind of really important. And that alignment, kind of day zero, uh, is what leads to kind of uh, huge outcomes. As I said before, we're not interested in keeping our teams and the kind of uh, students that we work with separate. We are much more interested in making sure that they function as a single company, as a single unit, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that is, you know, a kind of way of thinking uh, that not, not all kind of studios necessarily share, uh, and that kind of matters to us. Um, and so that kind of alignment around the, the, the model and, and the goals, the goals are another kind of important thing. You know, I think we are not interested in making games that do you know, two, three, four, five, six million dollars a month. We're interested in making games that can have kind of real kind of blockbuster kind of potential. And again, that is that requires a certain kind of commitment uh, to the product, uh, to the timelines uh, that is not that not, not, not necessarily all kind of studio share. So those are the things that we look for. Uh, and in terms of the kind of things that, uh, that uh, you know, we, we are kind of less interested in, as I said, our, our studios that are, you know, spread too thin, that are kind of uh, trying to do too many things. Um, you know, perhaps sometimes I think there are studios who are, who are um, you know, interested in making games and that's, and that's fine. And that's, you know, super, you know, we obviously respect that, but the, we are actually interested in making, you know, highly successful games. And those are two different things, right? You can make an amazing game uh, that is not a great business. We are, we are interested in making amazing games that are kind of very successful businesses. Um, so we, you know, we look for, we look for, for students that have that kind of orientation. So just to, um, is that the specific sort of high level evaluation framework that you guys use in, you know, trying to work with the studio? So I think you mentioned one was like the depth and level of specialization. Secondly, working within the Scopely model. Third, the potential for that game design or idea to have blockbuster potential. And fourth, in terms of having focus, is that the general high-level framework for you yeah, guys? I think, I think, I think that's, that's, uh, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I, I would add, obviously, quality uh, okay. and kind of quality of talent as, as a kind of really important one. Uh, you know, um, um, we are not kind of looking to uh, uh, 
to, uh, you know, we're looking for studios that have already, uh, you know, very high quality and that uh, can deliver, uh, you know, kind of market leading uh, levels. So, yeah, those, those are some of the kind of components that I think matter to us. Yes. Got it. All right, Mishka. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about working with developers. And, and just to reiterate, I was, I was writing stuff down. So basically, the way how I would sum it up, just listening to you, Javier, is like you, Scopely does very extensive market research. It understands very clearly its own capabilities, what it can and can't do with, with the current resources. You have very active discussions with developers around the world. So in your, and you're looking for focused developers. You're looking for developers that are excited to work with Scopely, with, yeah. with a publisher. And you're looking for developers that are mature enough because, you know, well, working with, with a publisher takes a certain amount of maturity to make it happen. And most importantly, you're looking for developers that are able to deliver the type of quality that actually creates a blockbuster game. Yeah. Um, you have uh, you have very active discussions with IPs. I mean, you're located in LA. That's where a lot of IPs are are there, yeah. and um, and the day to day work is driven and owned by the franchise teams. Yeah, uh, when it comes right. to that. So, uh, can uh, can we first talk about you know the probably the second most interesting thing for for any listeners is like what is the uh, what is the business relationship look like with the developers and we don't have to go to exact deal structures sure. of course sure. um, we can for sure we can go to <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you all, all of them yeah yeah I think look I think the important thing here is that there is not a kind of there's not a template right mm-hmm. um, uh, every single team has different set of goals different set of expectations different things that they're trying to achieve what we are uh, we are talent oriented that is when we want to kind of work with the studio um, what we try to kind of structure is a deal that, uh, that as I said before, aligns our kind of long-term interests as much as possible um, and delivers the kind, of, uh, the kind of value or the kind of things that the studio is looking for. And every studio is different. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so we are, I think, pretty flexible and I would say quite sophisticated in the type of deals that we, that we structure. Uh, um, uh, and, uh, and as I said before, you know, one of the kind of key components there is that there has to be meaningful upside, of course, uh, for, for the studio in success. And so there are, there are kind of, there are kind of many, many different tools that you can use to kind of deliver those, uh, you know, to deliver that you have, you mentioned before royalties, but you mm-hmm. also have, uh, you also have kind of lump sum payments, success fees, you have kind of acquisitions, you have investments. There are a lot of kind of different ways that you can uh, that you can kind of align uh, 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 the two companies, and so I would say that every single one of our studio partnerships looks different, um, and uh, and we tailor the deals to their relationship, um, and and I think that's that's kind of uh, that's uh, that's kind of important, um, and then and then in terms of how that kind of franchise team works together, um, the, as I said before, a goal is is to. Uh, uh, empower the franchise team to operate in some ways as a kind of uh, as a kind of you know mini company as autonomous as possible. Uh, every kind of uh, every kind of game team uh, is making its own kind of decisions around the kind of uh, you know what the game should look like and what the game should feel like. Um, and we are looking for deep integration between our our kind of product and kind of publishing people and uh, and and the uh, and the um, 
and the you know studio kind of uh, uh, resources, and and the ones that work the best, the partnerships that work the best are are the ones that basically operate as a single game team, uh, irrespective of uh, of um, of what company uh, you know each person works for. To the extent that you can eliminate that, uh, then you achieve maximum kind of efficiency, maximum creativity, uh, and and the partnerships can become very very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's. Uh, I think that's that's one of the um, one of the most important thing in not only in publishing but in any any kind of partnership is Correct. to align the end goals. Yeah, and, and that's I've heard a lot, and you know, in this industry, you hear a lot when when talking about publishing deals or anything, and people are talking about like, can we do the Scopely model, which which in other words means like everybody has a happy ending. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's um it's it's widely referred as that, but um um so. Can we talk about a little bit about? Um, I, I wrote so many questions down here as as you, as you were talking. So, um, what what are the interesting things about about this franchise team approach uh, from from developers from the studio perspective? Is the question is who has the final say? Of course, internally, your franchise team is probably the one that carries the ownership, whether the game is successful or not. Does the franchise team also have the final say in terms of you know? development of the game or or is it the uh, is it the game team or the development team naturally i assume that mostly they're always aligned but in case who has sure. the final say <laughs> sure. sure um you know again just to kind of when mm-hmm. i say franchise team game team for me it's the same thing right uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, it's 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 basically the, the the team that is building the game and that team is made up of product managers, game designers, artists, art directors, engineers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as I said, some people work at one company, some other people work at an, another company, but, but together uh, they, they kind of uh, make up that kind of game team. Now, as with any game team, there has to be uh, uh, a, a, you know, a person that is ultimately responsible for the kind of final decision uh, in Scopely that is, what we call a GM, you know, general manager uh, uh, here on the Scopely side. And that person is, uh, is the person that kind of has the kind of final say on, uh, on, um, on what, uh, on what, uh, uh, on what happens. I think, uh, I think um, uh, to the extent that that needs to happen in a game team, uh, that is probably an indicator of low probability of success. Because I think the kind of the best kind of games are, be, are built by people kind of uh, you know uh, uh, getting in a room and uh, and kind of laying out uh, product visions that might be in conflict and might be kind of challenging each other, but then kind of really being able to synthesize those into an integrated kind of view uh, that uh, that leads to uh, that leads to a uh, uh, you know a huge outcome. I think to the extent that that happens organically. I think you're on the good path to the extent that uh, there's got to be some kind of tiebreaker uh, that, that that needs to kind of drive that. That is not, in my opinion, super healthy. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, you know, we try to ensure that uh, that uh, that uh, that's how we make kind of creative decisions, and that uh, and that uh, it is ultimately the team that comes up with uh, you know with a unified vision that incorporates different sensibilities. You know, and as a company, we have been very diligent about making sure that. Uh, we bring into Scopely a lot of kind of different product sensibilities because all different kind of, uh, you know, 
free-to-play games companies approach the space differently. Uh, you know, Rovio is uh, is different than kind of Machine Zone, and EA is different than Kabam, and uh, you know, Scopely is mm-hmm. uh, you know is different from pretty much everybody. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, the, the point is uh, making sure that uh, that uh, we don't have uh, you know single person dictating how we make games, but that we have you know tremendous amount of kind of talent density in any one game team. And those those kind of people are are you know responsible and tasked with creating a unified game vision. Uh, so that's 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 how that's how the best teams here at Scopely works. Which means that there's no clear kind of owner, like a single kind of person that is kind of defining that. But yes, if 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 it comes to that, uh, there will be there will be a Scopely GM that will that will drive that kind of final say. Yeah, I perfectly understand that, and it makes sense. So um, let's talk about a little bit about the uh, the relationship uh, before and after a successful launch. So yeah. assuming that successful launch ends up with the studio being some kind of a permanent partner or a member of Scopely family, whether it's an yeah. investment or acquisition, yeah. um, how does that change in the sense? So w- what I'm basically asking is like before before you know before everything is great yeah. and everything just you know going towards that direction yeah uh, is it the way that you usually pay for development or so like what 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 is the uh sure or is, is it the sort of like a milestone approach and then once we we get into the soft launch and numbers look good enough we can actually scale it it's global launch and everything is you know rosy afterwards but yeah like what is what is the relationship like yeah, I mean, I think we are we are we, we don't like kind of milestone uh, kind of uh, uh, development agreement. Um, uh, you know, we think uh, it's very difficult to predict when a product is going to have the right KPIs, and mm-hmm. uh, and we think that uh, the tying financials and payments to milestones creates the wrong incentives around kind of chasing the the, the KPIs that we're looking for. Uh, so, so we, we don't like that. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we are, we are, uh, our kind of goal through development is making sure that the studio doesn't have to worry about anything other than making, making an amazing game. Right. Uh, okay. that is, that is what we're trying to create from a kind of, uh, uh, kind of from a financial perspective and even from a technology perspective, as I said before, right. It's like, don't worry about anything that has to do with technology or kind of financials, just focus on, on, on building a great kind of game experience. Um, you know, after, after launch, uh, um, uh, well, if, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if the product is successful, then I think there are a lot of kind of ways, as I said before, that we have of, uh, of rewarding kind of studios, uh, and I mentioned them before a little bit, you have royalties, you have bonus mm-hmm. payments, you have kind of investments, you have acquisitions. Um, and so, um, you know, that's. I think that's the easier kind of part, and that's and that's where you know the partnership can kind of really celebrate and share the upside of uh, of what we've created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was that was actually a really interesting part because as a if I'm a studio, and what I'm hearing is is just like you know like I I just met us met a Santa Claus because what it means is like I get the other the perfect financial security to work on the best possible game. So uh, how do you? How do you, so if you don't go through the milestones, how do you set it up? Do you like how, how do you keep on reviewing and making sure that that the the project is going according to? Because uh, I don't I don't know what's what's your success rate, but mostly in in like even in a great studio, it's about you know twenty five to twenty percent of the games actually pass through development into soft launch. 
Yeah, I mean, a success rate is much higher than that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, dramatically higher than that. Uh, but but we, we do have kind of, uh, you know, milestones as a company, right? Uh, we, we look at kind of products in, uh, in kind of different points of development. Mm-hmm. Um, we just do not kind of align financials for our studio partners around those milestones. Got it, got uh, it. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, as somebody that has kind of worked the companies, that are kind of more milestone driven, uh, uh, you know, when you do that, what happens is that everybody's trying to hit the milestones rather than the KPIs. And mm-hmm. we are not interested in hitting the milestones, we're interested in hitting the KPIs. And so we make yeah. sure that the studios are oriented, um, you know, towards, towards that outcome. But yes, of course, we have kind of, you know, development milestones. We have a green light process uh, uh, that, uh, that looks at games in different phases. Um, I think, um, you know, I think, we have been very patient in uh, in developing, uh, you know, in developing, uh, um, you know, these games. Uh, Star Trek will, you know, will do kind of over a hundred million dollars in its kind of first, uh, you know, seven months of kind of mm-hmm. being live. Uh, but it still, took us over three years to make that game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and of course, uh, during those three years, there were some kind of uh, you know great moments. There were also some kind of valleys, right? Uh, uh, and uh, and so, to the extent to the extent that we believe in the team, and to the extent that we believe in the idea, we generally are kind of pro continuing uh, development uh, of, uh, of 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 a game because I think if the team is good and the idea is good, it's just a question of time until you find the magic and that mm. find the kind of right KPIs. Uh, uh, okay. And so, and so, as you you know, you will see that uh, you know that we that we that we are you know capable of kind of launching games in a very short kind of timeline. Uh, you know, Walking Dead being a, you know great example, but we're also kind of capable of uh, of investing in products you know for for a long time, and and then you know get those products to deliver pretty huge outcomes. Yeah. Okay, love it. So, so basically, what you're saying is because you invest so much time in the market research, in understanding the capabilities, both your internal and and the capabilities of the of your partners, having you know very active discussions with with pretty much all the developers. I mean, if anybody is working in business development, and if they meet any studio that is independent, they know that that studio is talking to Scopely. So that's just a fact. So you're definitely have have your guys out there or at least henry is everywhere yeah, yeah. and uh <laughs> and you have uh you have active discussion with ips and 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 you you trust into in your franchise teams and kind of like that base works allows you to have um much more risk tolerance when working with external developer because you've done your homework am, am i correct with this yeah, I think, and I think, you know, the homework never ends, right? It's yeah. like we are always kind of iterating and ensuring that we are adding uh, whatever it is that we need to add to the game, to the team. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, um, it's very, it's very, I'd say it's fairly easy to make a game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and we all know that because if you look under the App Store today, you will see that uh, there's 100 games that have been launched today, right? It is not so easy to make a successful uh, you know, large, uh, you know, kind of blockbuster type of kind of uh, outcome. That is much more difficult. And again, if you look at the charts, you'll see very few of them kind of being made on a yearly basis. Okay. And so, and so we are, you know, we're committed to those outcomes. Uh, that's why our hit rate is kind of much higher than the kind of uh, competition. That's why, uh, you know, when we launch games, we have really high 
uh, uh, conviction around the outcome that we are kind of going to deliver. Um, and that just requires kind of patience and, 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 and commitment during the development phase, yeah. Got it. Oh, okay. Okay. This is, this, yeah, I, I totally understand. So um, as a last couple of questions from, from myself, and then Jake is going to talk about the, uh, the IP, working with IPs and overall industry tr trends. So, you know, you, you kind of touch upon what, what you feel is successful developer. It's the laser focus, the, you know, the depth of the, uh, of the talent and the ability to del deliver quality. But um, let's talk about other part is like, what does it take to be a successful publisher? Apart from setting up goals that are, um, you know, that are in line with developers and, 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 you know, what does it take? What does it take to be a Scopely? Yeah. Yeah. Again, as, you know, we, we don't think of ourselves as a publisher. Mm -hmm. uh, we think of ourselves as a kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, free play games company. Um, and I think one of the things that you need uh, if you're going to be a successful uh, free play games company is the ability to take a, a, a product that uh, uh, hopefully has you know, very strong kind of player KPIs and then scale that product from an audience perspective. So, you know, the kind of go-to-market uh, strategy and the ability to, uh, uh, you know, work with platform partners, to uh, invest significant amounts of capital uh, and to do that investment in a kind of, you know, highly efficient manner through, uh, you know, performance marketing and other kind of marketing channels. That's the kind of first component uh, that, that, that you need. Uh, the second component is being able to kind of really operate the game in a sophisticated manner. And so at that point, what you need is kind of deep data analytics, uh, a great kind of uh, data visualization and kind of BI tools. Uh, you need to be able to have a lot of kind of segmentation capabilities and kind of play communication technology uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, as I said before, allows you to, uh, you know, tailor the experience to different types of players. Um, you know, you need to have amazing ad technology uh, that can deliver a, a ad experience that monetizes, but that is, you know, bug free and doesn't kind of create stability issues uh, for the games. You need to have kind of machine learning and kind of marketing automation capabilities that allows you to uh, learn about player behavior and kind of iterate on the game experience uh, based, on, based on kind of that, 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 that learning. Um, so, you know, you, you need to have all of those kind of technologies to be able to really monetize over a long period of time uh, those, those, you know, the core game experience. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, when those two things come together, that's a kind of very powerful uh, outcome. And I think that, the, you know, the most successful companies in the space, and I think you know, Scope is a great example of that, you know, are able to do both. Yeah. Perfect. So, JK, trends and IPs. Yeah, and before talking about uh, trends and IP, I, I would just wanted to ask in terms of you know some of your games and like you know you, you mentioned Star Trek Fleet Command, but can can you also speak to like what are some of your best performing games right now and why have those specific games been able to achieve success? Like, what were the keys to success for those specific games? Sure. So you know, I think right now, uh, obviously, our, our kind of most successful game is Star Trek. Uh, that's a game uh, that, as I said, is you know, it's going to cross a uh, hundred million dollars in the kind of first uh, you know seven months of uh, of being of being live, which is obviously you know big big achievement. And we have 
uh, we think that game is going to have a very kind of large and long kind of uh, you know life. Uh, so we're very excited about that. You know, that game is the success of that game is fundamentally driven uh, by the amazing kind of uh, player experience that uh, that uh, that the team has kind of built. Um, that is that is basically resulting in some pretty amazing um, you know player LTVs and uh, and uh, monetization KPIs. It's a game that has insane amount of uh, of player engagement. You know, people are playing uh, pretty much uh, you know every every day of the week. Uh, the you know hours uh, per day are 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 pretty you know pretty incredible. Uh, so you know it's 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 a it's a game that has kind of really captured uh, an amazing you know very passionate audience, uh, and it's delivering you know it's a delivering kind of some of the best KPIs that we have seen in our cross app portfolio. So that's that's the you know that's kind of Star Trek. Uh, our kind of second most successful game right now is the Dice franchise. Um, you know that's a, that's a uh, that's a franchise that has kind of generated you know well over four hundred million dollars in kind of uh, uh, revenue today. Uh, it's a game that's kind of generating over hundred million dollars of revenue a year. Um, it's it's a game that we started kind of operating in um, you know 2011, uh, and its biggest kind of revenue year is going to be 2019. Uh, so so that gives you a sense of how also we think about products. We think of these products products that can last forever if uh, if well operated and kind of well maintained. Uh, you know I think that product um, is the success of that product is driven. Um, by you know a very unique kind of player experience that I think uh, nobody has kind of really been able to kind of replicate. It is a kind of you know core uh, you know bonus uh, dice roll that uh, that uh, that uh, you know we are the kind of really the only game that is kind of doing that. And, and again, it's a it's a game with uh, you know very strong retention, very strong long term retention, uh, and a, you know very kind of passionate kind of fan base. Uh, so those are kind of our two, the, the two, the, the two biggest games that uh, that uh, we have at the moment. Both are you know over 100 million dollars a year uh, in, in in revenue. Uh, then we have you know Walking Dead, which we launched in 2015 and has been you know hugely successful kind of franchise for us, uh, generated you know well over 300 million dollars to date, uh, and you know was the first time that we kind of entered the RPG space. Uh, we launched. Uh, Looney Tunes, kind of, uh, also at the end of uh, at the end of the year, and you know it's kind of early days, but we're very we're very kind of uh, uh, excited with the trajectory you know, the trajectory of that product, and then we have also on the RPG space uh, WWE, which is uh, again generated over hundred million dollars in revenue since we launched it in two thousand and seventeen, and again, which we see a kind of very durable, long term kind of franchise for us, uh, you know. Con continuously engaging with the WWE fan base in kind of really kind of fun and, uh, and interesting ways. Uh, and then the kind of smallest product that we have is kind of Wheel of Fortune, uh, you know, which uh, which been kind of we've been, uh, we launched in 2016 and end of 2016. Um, you know, it's a kind of very strong evergreen IP, a lot of kind of organic installs coming to that game. And, you know, we're pretty happy with the, with the, with the performance bit. Got it. And it seems like the recurring theme amongst all the, the successful games that you guys have been launching is, is IP. Can you talk to 
your strategy when it comes to IP? Are you guys just going to be doing IP-based games moving forward? And what do you see as like the biggest benefits of working with IP-based yeah. games? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think a focus there is not, it's not IP. We're not kind of, we're not an IP driven company. We're an audience uh, driven company. What we are trying to uh, 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 solve at the kind of product strategy level is, hey, we want to make games for large audiences. Uh, and I think, you know, when we were looking at the space, um, you know, back in kind of 2014, 15, 16, we thought that, uh, that the most kind of predictable kind of path to doing that uh, was through partnering with, uh, you know, with IPs that already had, you know, very large kind of captive, captive audiences. And the type of audiences that we're looking for are evergreen audiences, uh, durable audiences, audiences that are kind of, uh, you know, uh, engaged with the IP uh, in a kind of profound way. So, you know, things like WWE, things like uh, Walking Dead TV show, uh, you know, things like, uh, um, you know, Wheel of Fortune also kind of on, 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 on TV, right? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, also audiences that uh, are kind of perfect for the free-to-play uh, space. Um, so we tend to kind of, uh, for sure, shy away from kind of kids' IP, and we're trying to kind of really deliver experiences for, you know, for adult players. Uh, and so, um, you know, we, we thought that IP was a kind of very efficient uh, and high probability way of, uh, of ensuring that we were, we had, uh, you know, a kind of path to uh, systematic success. You know, as we said before, we're in the business of creating a kind of games company that can systematize uh, 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 launching and operating free-to-play games, which I think very few companies have done. Uh, and so we thought that was kind of an important part of our strategy. But there is nothing that is intrinsic. Like there's nothing we're not we, we're not kind of necessarily 100% committed to IPs to the extent that, that there are IPs that can help us achieve that. We will continue to invest in them. We think uh, yeah. they have very kind of strong partnerships. Of course, the type of IPs that uh, that uh, that we are kind of interested in working with these days are are really only the kind of IPs that can really aggregate large scale uh, uh, global audiences. Um, but, but we are also kind of working on, uh, on games that are not IP based. Um, and as the kind of industry has kind of evolved to a more kind of performance marketing driven ecosystem, we think, uh, we think that to the extent that you can build, uh, games with the highest LTV in the category, then, uh, then you can also, you know, build a very kind of loyal, uh, uh, and large kind of audience, uh, uh, through you know through uh, you know through kind of large marketing launches and sustained kind of performance marketing. So um, you know we are we are pursuing both. We will we will continue to work with IP holders that can kind of bring uh, large audiences uh, to to our kind of to our games. But we are also uh, building you know original IP games uh, where you know we have an audience strategy built uh, into into them from day one. Got it. And then just given the wealth of experience that you guys have working with, um, you know, big IPs and with IP holders, you know, there can definitely be some challenges working with some of those IP holders with respect to like IP approvals and things of that nature. Can you talk about how you, what your experience has been and how you guys have managed some of the complexities dealing with IP holders? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think, um, in my experience, those conversations and those relationships have gotten much kind of, uh, you know, easier over time. I remember when I was a kind of a, a, a EA, for example, um, it was, it was, 
it was difficult. Uh, IP holders sometimes had a very kind of uh, static way of how they wanted the kind of franchise or, or property to be reflected in the gaming space. Yeah. I think with kind of free to play that has changed pretty meaningfully. Uh, I think, uh, I think uh, uh, you know, with a kind of data-driven approach uh, to kind of game design and game making, I think uh, IP holders, uh, what, what they want to see is that you're able, uh, you're capable of building uh, an experience that the fans of the, of the, of the IP are going to love and are going to really engage with. And the good news is that that is something that is measurable today, right? Uh, when we're kind of working on a kind of walking dead game, we can go to a kind of partner like Skybound and clearly show them that the creative decisions that we are making around their IP are, you know, creative decisions that the fan base and the player base are kind of really engaging with. Uh, and you can see that in the retention KPIs, organization KPIs of, uh, of the game. And so we have found that, uh, that, uh, that uh, IP holders, uh, at least in our case, uh, have allowed us to take some kind of significant risks uh, with, with their IPs, have allowed us to perhaps kind of uh, bring their IPs to the mobile space in, in ways that are not kind of, uh, uh, not just a kind of uh, straight kind of uh, port of, uh, of uh, whatever exists in kind of other platforms. Um, and we've seen, you know, very productive uh, and exciting kind of uh, relationships. Um, it's not an area where we've had um, uh, major issues. I would say that they have been kind of very productive uh, partnerships and, uh, and, you know, very data-driven partnerships. Great. Yeah, I think that's great. You haven't had a lot of issues. I think generally, just from my experience, what I've seen is that on the developer side, generally the issue is all the restrictions, IP approvals, delays, and things like that. And then on the publisher side, it's like, well, you know, you mentioned Star Trek Fleet Command took three years. You know, I don't know who you worked with, CBS or Paramount or whoever may have, you know, had a revenue forecast for a certain time. And so when a game delays, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm sure they could get kind of antsy over. Yeah. yeah. Again, look, I mean, I think, I think. This comes down to doing things well, right? Uh, if you don't do if you don't do things well, then then bad things happen, uh, 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 and that includes scopely, includes studio partner or an IP holder, right? Um, so yeah, we 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 make sure that we have the kind of right people and processes to to manage a partner. You know, we are we 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 decide to kind of work with a partner because we think that they're going to kind of create value for us, such as you know CBS in the case of kind of uh, Star Trek. Um, and, and we commit to that partnership and, uh, and that partnership has certain obligations and we manage those obligations well. Uh, and around kind, of, around kind of timing of launches and things like that, you know, again, I think, I think IP holders have become way more sophisticated over time. There is, you know, back in the console days, you made money by launching a game, right? You kind of spend a bunch of money and then you would go to kind of retail and you would sell a bunch of kind of discs and you would make money by doing that. Um, as, as everybody knows, you lose a lot of money uh, by launching kind of free-to-play game, uh, and you only kind of make money to the extent that that is a great game that the fan base is excited about and willing to engage with it for very, very long periods of time. So uh, uh, being date-driven, it's not, it's not a viable strategy. It's, it's guaranteed failure, uh, and, it's, and it's, again, it's something that we established very clearly with the IP holders on kind of day one. We, are, we want to deliver quality. We want to deliver kind of uh, uh, want to deliver on their IP, and we want to deliver kind of huge player outcomes and huge revenue outcomes, and uh, and that requires everybody to be aligned around that goal. And that is, by the way, the right goal uh, uh, if you want to maximize your revenue, if you want to maximize your royalties. Yeah. 
Got it. So I just have one final question. So in terms of like emerging and future trends that are potentially going to be impacting mobile game publishing in a big way, what, what are your thoughts in terms of what some of these trends might be? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what's obviously the kind of I think the most kind of interesting uh, uh, trend uh, that I see in gaming today is you know back in back in the kind of two uh, thousands something kind of interesting happened in the kind of gaming space, right? You had you basically had one kind of platform which was Western console, um, and then and then the kind of uh, the kind of games industry kind of like exploded, right? Uh, and then you started having you know deep, you know, very kind of exciting kind of, uh, you know, game ecosystem in Asia. Um, you start to have kind of free-to-play, uh, uh, you know, versus versus kind of packaged goods. You started to have, uh, um, you know, online gaming, then Facebook gaming, then mobile gaming. And, and you know, there were all these kind of different ecosystems uh, that, uh, that in some ways existed kind of independently of each other, right? So you had console, you had online, and then you had kind of mobile, right? Um, um, and you had kind of different geographies that seemed to kind of play, uh, you know, different games. Um, and and th that's kind of where I think the industry was, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And I think what you're seeing now is all of that kind of, all of those kind of different ecosystems imploding into a single ecosystem that the way I think about it is kind of digital free-to-play uh, and, you know, free-to-play, uh, has demonstrated that it is the kind of best business model for players and for publishers. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think you'll see the kind of, uh, certainly from a kind of market share perspective, it's the, it, it will be the kind of dominant, uh, um, um, uh, business model. And then you see that, uh, that, uh, you know, games as a service, uh, type of kind of game making is also the, 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 the type of kind of experience. Uh, that allows uh, you know developers and publishers to to, 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 to deliver maximum value to to players, um, and so I think you're also going to have well you're already seeing that of course in the kind of console space, but also online and and, and, and mobile, and so all of those kind of platforms are kind of coming together, um, and uh, and it's an exciting time because you can now build um, you know build a game, build an experience that can go across multiple screens uh, that can kind of live across, uh, you know, multiple, uh, you know, player uh, moments, if that makes sense. Um, and, uh, and I think that that is going to require a different set of capabilities um, and different ways of thinking about game design and, uh, you know, and the kind of products that we're building. Um, so that's, I think, really exciting. I think it allows uh, companies such as us to, to reach a you know, bigger audience uh, and to engage with players across, you know, across more moments of their kind of day-to-day -day life. So uh, uh, that's, that's exciting. I think from a studio perspective, it's gonna, it's gonna require everybody to kind of level up their, their kind of game-making capabilities. You're gonna be able to, you're gonna have to deliver uh, experiences that can kind of play incredibly well across multiple device types. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's a creative challenge for sure, as well as a technical one. Great. Well, thank you very much, Javier and Mishka. You've got some final yeah, final yeah. words. I mean, you can you can do those things. It's it's we we always do some some shout outs, and then in this case, I mean, definitely we want to give a shout out to Henry Lowenfels, who's yeah. always listening to this podcast. He's uh, he's in business development, I think, at Scopely. Yeah. The most yeah. well liked person in the mobile games industry. Yeah, 
by by far you can meet him everywhere and he talks to every developer so he's like a one-man army Uh, i want to also give a shout out to scopa's instagram channel uh we were looking at that with with joe yesterday and Barcelona had some amazing party. <laughs> we, should, yeah, we were we, we were talking about that as well. Yes. Uh, so I mean, you got the catamarans up in the uh, in the sea and everything. So if you're not following that Instagram channel, you should uh, most definitely <laughs> add that to your list. Yeah, and um, and probably like like a few things from you, Javier. Is like where can you know? You, we talked a lot about developers who you're looking to work with and you're probably talking to all the possible developers, but if some developers are not yet in contact with the Scopey folk, where can they meet? Um, where can they meet you guys? Well, I think, uh, I think Henry, uh, Henry Lovenfeld to your point <laughs> is the, is the kind of person that leads uh, those kind of efforts here at Scopely. You know, obviously he is, uh, his email is uh, Henry at Scopely.com. I hope he gets uh, a lot of, kind of emails uh, <laughs> over the next kind of few days. Uh, but you know he he's obviously present across uh, um, uh, all the kind of you know major uh, major kind of game gatherings. He'll be at Gamescom, uh, and as I said, we are you know we are we are not a company that speaks to uh, uh, all developers. We are kind of focused mm-hmm. on on what we think you know who we think are the kind of uh, the, the the type of studios that can deliver you know really really high LTV games. Uh, but yeah, for sure, o- always always interested in companies that can help us grow, that can, you know, teach us things that we don't know uh, and that can bring capabilities that expand, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the set of things that we can do as a games company. Mm. And finally, I'm sure everybody enjoyed listening to it and we enjoyed talking to you. So where can the listeners see you talk next time? Are you talking at certain conferences or where, where can they see you? Uh, I don't know the answer uh, to that, to that kind of question right now, uh, but uh, uh, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll certainly try to kind of make an appearance in that Instagram uh, channel as soon as possible. <laughs> All right, so follow the Instagram channel, and Javier will make will you, you'll know what Javier will be talking at next. Yeah. So um, and thank you, thank you for for both of you for for um, Joe for you know setting up this and and Javier for really in-depth answers. Uh, you didn't you didn't shy away for any of the questions and Joe and I wrote everything we could think about, some critical, some some, you know, uh, yeah. some questions that we just really wanted to answer and and you didn't modify or do anything about it. So that's that's always huge props. No, thank you. I mean, look, I think uh, I think um, uh, what I find is that uh, is that we are a kind of company that doesn't kind of follow the the traditional kind of Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some of the traditional kind of ideas or models that kind of people uh, 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 have around around you know mobile games, and so I think this was a great kind of opportunity for us to go into a little bit more depth in kind of explaining our model and ensuring that you know uh, people have an opportunity to understand uh, how we think about the space, how we think about us as a company, and you know how we think about working with uh, with studios. So thanks for the opportunity. Perfect. All right. and- Thanks very much, Javier. Awesome. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's it.